1: This is the John Oakley Show Podcast. Here's what's on the John Oakley Show Podcast for Tuesday, September 1st, 2020. Would you undergo invasive brain surgery just so you could telepathically summon your electric car? We'll tell you how to increase your odds of surviving an encounter with a polar bear and other assorted wildlife. 25 years ago today, Paul Bernardo was found guilty. The lawyer representing the victims' families joins us. All of this starts right now. When it comes to tech and what is on the frontiers of technology and uh, all of those developments, here's a corker, Elon Musk, just this past Friday, uh, was displaying a working Neuralink device in a pig. uh, Successfully installed in its brain, it read the neurons whenever the pig smelled a tasty treat. And that augurs uh, as a preliminary test anyway, that there are all kinds of wonderful things, including possibly summoning your car through telepathy, if I've got it right. Uh, here to explain it to somebody who actually understands this stuff, Dr. Andrew Jackson's with his professor of neural interfaces with the Biosciences Institute at Newcastle University. Dr. Jackson, good to have you here on the Oakley Show in Toronto. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you coming on, uh, because I'm beyond my pay grade to certainly understand any of this. Have you been following what Elon Musk, uh, in fact, he exhibited on Friday, uh, something called a Neuralink device? Uh, if you do know about it, how does it work? Uh,
0: so, so, yes, I watched Elon's uh, presentation on Friday. Um, so so what the, the Neuralink team is trying to do is build what we call a brain-machine interface. Um, and in this case, that's a device that has a lot of Uh, very small electrodes that are placed inside the brain, and they record the electrical signals from brain cells. Um, These are what we call spikes, and they're kind of like the bits of information that are flowing around the brain um, and and are part of how the the brain communicates and, 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 and creates thoughts.
1: So it interfaces or interacts with the brain and uh, the neurons that are emitted, you know, the sort of electronic little uh, firing signals. But, I mean, how do we know that there's something? uh, Has he tested, you know, what the reactions are? It's not just random firing of the neurons then, is it?
0: Uh, Well, no. And and, I mean, it's worth saying that this is building on um, many decades of, of work in neuroscience to try to understand how the the, the electrical firing of brain cells relates to uh, what we're experiencing, what we're, actions we're trying to do. Um, and so we, we've known for, for, for many years, for example, when you move your limb, um, that, that what's causing your limb to move is this electrical activity from particular brain cells in the motor parts of your brain. Um, and the idea of a brain-machine interface is that if you can listen to that brain activity, you can infer, you can decode an intended movement. And then, for example, if you are unfortunately paralyzed for some reason, um, that information that is read from the brain could be perhaps used to control uh, a computer, a wheelchair, a prosthetic limb, or some other assistive device. Um, And these are ideas that that are fairly well established now in the field. What Elon is doing is bringing uh, a big investment and bringing, bringing um, expertise in, in electronic engineering and and and, um, and trying to actually kind of turn this from being a, uh, an idea that is a proof of principle idea into something that would actually be practically usable.
1: Yeah, this is fascinating because if it can initiate certain actions, uh, I mean, for want of a better descriptor, uh, it's likened to telepathy. And uh, if you can have the brain firing in somebody who's, say, uh, has lost uh, all mobility in the appendages, is it something that would be akin to that, kind of like a telepathy, uh, moving things with your brain? Um,
0: yeah, so so it's already been shown in, in, in some previous previous work, um, from, from particularly a, a trial called BrainGate, um, there are some, some individuals who have been paralyzed by spinal cord injuries, motor neuron disease, who have had electrode arrays um, similar to, to, to what Neuralink is developing uh, placed in their brain, and they have been able to use these uh, electrodes to control uh, cursors, control robotic arms. Um, I think it's worth saying that there's a big difference between being able to move a... a Computer cursor left, right, up, and down on a screen versus being able to communicate kind of complex thoughts and ideas and, and emotions and this sort of thing. So, so to describe it as telepathy is to um, present it perhaps as as a, a more sophisticated version of what has been demonstrated to date. Um, but you know, with the the hope is that with developments in this technology the the um, extent to which uh, we can we can decode and infer signals from the brain will improve over time
1: again with Dr Andrew Jackson professor of neural interfaces with the biosciences institute at newcastle university well t- uh, musk did go on to say that uh, there's something he calls smart summon and in the future tesla owners may be able to ditch the phone and think their car to themselves So that's kind of getting ahead of ourselves into the future. You mentioned, you know, the cursor on a computer screen, but boy, being able to summon your car, can you see that as being perhaps uh, something practical that could be invented before too long?
0: So I think that these kind of technologies have a very clear application for people who have neurological disabilities. Um, I think when we come to thinking of... um, the applications in the realm of enhancement, so taking somebody who is um, unimpaired, uh, sort of normally functioning, and saying, could we use a device like this to um, allow them to do something better? Um, it's, it's much harder to see that that is, is going to be coming anytime soon. I mean, yes, potentially you could use a device like this to summon your your Tesla, but would you want to undergo a fairly invasive brain surgery in order to achieve something that you could probably already do with your mobile phone. I mean, it's up to you, but I mean, I might be wanting to look into the the, the details of that a bit more before I signed up for it.
1: (laughs) Right, although, you know, uh, some people really, they line up for days on end to get the new iPhone, so uh, if there's an opportunity to get your hands on some uh, cutting-edge technology, there there may be some people who are willing to uh, adopt that. But nonetheless, this has not yet been tested in humans. Uh, That's still pretty far off, as you say, in the future. I, I don't know what the timeline or horizon, when we say far off, uh, given technological development, but would you say maybe 10 years out, uh, 15, 20?
0: So, so I think in terms of the, the, the technology that he presented a couple of days ago, in terms of a timeline to, to get that into people, I think it's it's probably much sooner than that. I expect that in the next year or two, Um, At the rate that he's going, and based on what he's saying, I I suspect they will be doing trials of this technology probably in a small number of people who maybe are paralyzed um, and would be using this as as an assistive device that would allow them to, to, say, interact with computers or, or perhaps control a wheelchair. I think that's entirely feasible. Um, I think that um, when it comes to the, the, like I say, the use of these devices for enhancement of, of cognitive function or, you know, enhancement of some, some of our brain's ability, I think we have to recognize that the, the problems are not just um, in, in the electrical engineering. We also have a, a, a lot we need to understand about how the brain encodes these more complex ideas and things like language and memories. And, and understanding that will be a very key part of um, seeing whether there are ways in which we can use these these brain machine interfaces to actually provide something sort of useful for the consumer. Um, you know, nevertheless, I mean, the history of Silicon Valley is that it has moved fast and broken things. So, um, you know, clearly Elon Musk likes to um, think these kind of big ideas and uh, and it, it, it's somewhat foolish to try and make two, two strong predictions about what the future is going to be like when tech companies move so quickly.
1: Yeah, it's a fascinating frontier of science, technology, uh, sort of the synergies between them. I appreciate your coming on and explaining it in layperson's terms. Uh, I was trying to uh, figure out exactly how this is going to play out and you've done a marvellous job, Dr. Andrew uh, Jackson. uh Hope to talk down the road. Stay well.
0: Thank you for having me on the show.
1: You've got it. Dr. Andrew Jackson, again, Professor of Neural Interfaces with the Biosciences Institute at Newcastle University. And Musk has got the money. Uh, He certainly, as people have written him off with the SpaceX project, said they would never have something that could go into space and then come back and be reclaimed. Uh, He's done that tick in the box. Uh, That was earlier this year. You know, when it comes to death, sometimes it's an untimely one, uh, like the Dutchman camping in Norway's remote islands up in the Arctic, about 800 miles from the North Pole, and he uh, had an encounter with a polar bear. Did not end well. Uh, he is no longer with us. He is an ex-Dutchman. He has ceased to be. But in the event that should happen to you, uh, in the case of confronting a polar bear, that is, uh, what to do? I don't have an answer, but you know who does? Paula Froelich. Paula Froelich, uh is, well, a former columnist with the New York Post and editor-in-chief of Yahoo Travel, currently the founder and operator of the website Abroad Abroad. Also, uh, a media consultant, we should point that out. Paula, good to have you here on the Oakley Show in Toronto. Good afternoon.
2: Hey, thank you.
1: <laughs> well, you know,
2: Good to look, be here.
1: Well, it's good to have you here. You know, I guess uh, we're all happy to be here, uh, whether or not we've confronted a polar bear where our our odds would be lessened. Like this poor Dutchman. I mean, here he goes. He was with a group of people nonetheless, but uh, the polar bear, uh, you know, they're ravenous. And when they set their mind to oh, yeah. it, they do a lot of damage. But you've encountered polar bears or a polar bear at one point. You're in your travels, have you not?
2: I have narrow I have narrowly missed them, thank goodness. Um but I have talked to many people who have encountered them or have to deal with them on a regular basis. Because I've I've been to Greenland what, three times, the Arctic part of Canada twice. So you know, it's people who live with these guys all year all year round. But especially this time of year, apparently they're quite active.
1: They are. And, and uh, they
2: in and they get hungry and You know, you can't really fight off a polar bear. That's really kind of a joke. You just have to kind of be like, well, you know, either I'm going to be divinely saved or not. Uh, (laughs) But there are some things you can do along the way to possibly increase your odds of survival.
1: Well, tell us about those, because I find that fascinating in your travels and travails. You do list some. Uh, What would they be?
2: Oh, yes. Okay, well, number one, you always have to carry bear spray. It's kind of like mace for bears. Uh. You know, I was on a uh, vintage aircraft rally across the Arctic, and we stopped at this old abandoned Air Force base called Bluey East 2, and we all had to load up with bear spray, because apparently they're all over that place. Mm. Um, Unfortunately, I didn't, you know, if you spray it, you're supposed to be upwind and relatively close, so it's Mm. terrifying either way. (laughs) Uh apparently you know it does it does tend to work according to several air greenland pilots i worked i talked to
1: paula let me ask you because uh we were camping in an ontario provincial park earlier this summer and uh it's recommended that one of us carry a bear bell you make a lot of noise but that's the black bear uh polar bears uh they don't really (laughs) they don't pay attention to the little noise
2: the thing about polar bears (laughs) is i think they're just curious you know the other thing is you know, carry a gun. Obviously, nobody wants to kill a polar bear. Um, however, you know, you can't have them around. But the third thing is, since you're wearing a lot of clothes, assuming, you know, because it's cold, they're very curious. So what you can do is strip off one piece of clothing at a time, kind of like a weird bear strip tease. <laughs> and apparently the bear will stop at each piece of clothing and sniff it and play around with it, and then go on to the next one. And that will hopefully give you time to, oh, I don't know, get back inside, call help, or I don't, you know, get hypothermia.
1: We're, obviously you're on an ice flow in your skivvies. What are your odds? Uh you're eaten by the bear or hypothermia. Yeah, but, but let's
2: that, be honest. If you're on an ice if you're on an ice floe in your skivvies, I mean that's kind of uh that's kind of a sign anyway, isn't it? I mean, it
1: yeah. mean, yeah, you should be taken out of uh, it's a. it's a Darwin kind of award waiting to be awarded, I guess, uh, in the gene pool. So, you know, the bear is curious and uh this has been noted that uh you can distract and I guess a uh, little piece of clothes here and uh, throw anything oh, yeah, totally. at the, yeah,
2: and hopefully you're wearing a, yeah, hopefully you're wearing a couple layers of socks, you know. <laughs> right.
1: it's just, not for warmth.
2: Otherwise, you're just taking what the with the Inuit called the long walk, and you just, you know, that's that's, that's another way of ending it.
1: Well, let me ask you, because, you know, uh, the polar bear, obviously, uh, which we have in our high Arctic, uh, we don't have a lot of animals that will necessarily attack you. Well, the moose may, you know, in rutting season or whatever, the moose can be a dangerous beast.
2: I I wouldn't put anything above moose or elk. I mean, come on, you've got like some really crazy seals with teeth. No way, man.
1: Okay. You're right. Uh the elk on the uh well out west in Alberta, I noticed on golf courses in Jasper and Banff they actually have uh red circles painted on them when they're in a dangerous uh time of the year so as people to know uh stay steer clear and don't think they're all warm and fuzzy and cuddly. And the grizzly bear too is kind of like the polar bear. Have you ever been, as uh again the founder of the website abroad abroad, uh places like Africa with elephants and uh rhinoceros I and am. these
2: Yes, I I have many times,
1: and, and so uh, and
2: it's very. I mean, you, you keep your distance.
1: Well, do you because some people, you know, I guess this might be apocryphal, but uh, standing your ground with a charging elephant will get it to stop. I don't, I don't know if I'd risk risk the whole uh, thing. It's like that guy in the. Uh,
2: first of all, the, if you're close enough for that elephant to charge. You're in a little bit of a situation anyway, aren't you?
1: Yeah, yeah. But, I mean hey,
2: listen who knows it's a I one of a guy I know whose like his his land and his stories were the basis of um the Lion King right and his wife almost lost his life because they're walking on their property to a back building and out of the blue a um a buffalo a Cape buffalo came and speared her up through her stomach and out through her mouth so Sometimes You don't see it coming. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you don't. The thing about the polar bear is you really don't see them coming half the time because they're white. And you're on white snow. But, well, you know, you, you want to give yourself a little bit of odds here, don't you?
1: You know, you mentioned the Cape Buffalo, and I've heard it said that this is the meanest, nastiest beast. Uh <laughs> oh,
2: yeah. I wouldn't go anywhere near Cape Buffalo or a hippo, man. I've seen a hippo fight. Let me tell you what. <laughs> it is vicious. And those things weigh like five houses, and they can swim real fast. I <laughs> no ma'am, no ham.
1: When I was in Alaska several years back, I noticed that the locals uh, tended to carry guns around with them. Uh, now, I get it. It's America, but uh, and we're maybe not as, uh, you know, uh, we don't see this commonly in canada but nonetheless with the animals the size of the animals and those types like grizzly bear primarily was the concern uh the right. gun is a per- gun is a pretty good uh line of defense as well is it not not that we're necessarily advocating shooting uh, for its okay. own sake
2: uh, i mean no i mean you know i, I said this earlier you don't want to kill uh, you don't want to kill any animal really unless you're eating it but you don't want to kill a polar bear? It's endangered. All that stuff. However, if it's you or the polar bear, it's you know. And the other thing is, if you're coming into contact with a polar bear, the polar bears normally are not don't want to go into town. That is not their idea of a good time. They're, if they're coming into town or they're coming close to people, usually because they're sick or starving.
1: What about and playing so You need dead. to
2: take care of that.
1: I understand. Playing dead seems to work with some bears, some species of bears. Uh, maybe not so much with the grizzly or the polar.
2: You know, I have not heard that. Also, because again, if they're hungry, they're still going to smell that you're not dead. <laughs> you know, there was a um, there was like a there was a big old uh, there was a GIF that went like popular a couple years ago, and it was completely insane, and it was titled "Friendship." You know, and it was like this sled dog on his sled house, and he looked miserable. And there was this polar bear licking him, and they were like, "Look, friends. And what they didn't know to, uh, you know, didn't note in the meme was that the polar bear killed and ate the dog after. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: you know, it, it, you know. Well,
1: yeah, uh, I, I'm sure confronting a polar bear, uh, it would smell more uh, than that I was still alive, uh, because I'd be uh, load my shorts. So where are you off to next? I mean, you're well-traveled. The writer-at-large for the New York Post, the media consultant, founder of the website Abroad Abroad. Uh, so where are you taking off to in the foreseeable future, if you can travel with COVID-19?
2: <laughs> I am stuck. I don't know if you've noticed this, but Americans are on the no-fly list for everyone except for, I don't know, Brazil, Mexico, and Turkey.
1: Well, the the Amazon's wonderful at this time of year.
2: Certainly is, especially in a country that's treated COVID as seriously as we have. So, yeah, no, I am definitely not going to go be a carrier to some tribe that, you know. Yeah, so I, I, you're... I'm being, uh, being very respectful this year and just living on memories and doing some internal travel. I might go to the Berkshire Mountains, but yeah, international's on the hold until everything's a little bit more sorted.
1: Yeah, you're landlocked. As a matter of fact, in New York City too, the mayor doesn't want any in uh, restaurant dining until a vaccine is found and people are apoplectic. They're saying, "What is he thinking?" Because across the river in Jersey, you can actually dine in, but not in New York. Uh, there's your there's your mayor De Blasio. Good luck with that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway.
2: listen, I'm not a De Blasio fan, but I will say New York, New York City at least is on. You're allowed to uh, you're allowed to fly to Costa Rica. You know countries are opening up to New York residents, because at least New York City, we got hit so bad. Our our infection rate is now down to, I think, 7.2%. So, you know, taking it seriously does work. But I do think without a federal or state plan to help businesses, it's really going to be vicious.
1: That's the world we live in, uh, whether it's the animal kingdom or just this COVID nineteen. Uh, in any event, Paula, good to talk. I appreciate that. I hope you do get uh, out you. and about before too long. And thanks for the tips on confronting a polar bear should that happen. We're better served for it. Uh, stay well.
2: Oh my! Well, if you guys want to see actual photos, go onto my Instagram. It's at Pfro and if you scroll down, there's there's me on that Ar- on several Arctic tracks, which is fun, by the way.
1: Good enough. Paula Froelich, again, writer-at-large for the New York Post, media consultant and founder of the website Abroad Abroad. <laughs> This the 25th anniversary. It was on this date back in 95. After eight hours of deliberation, the jury declared Paul Bernardo guilty on all nine counts. He was sentenced to life in prison with no parole for 25 years on two murder charges. We all remember well uh, it involved the families of Kristen French and Leslie Mahaffey, of course, the two girls who were victims of this psychopath. Joining us on the line now, Tim Danson is the lawyer representing on the families. Tim, good to have you back in the Oakley Show. Good afternoon. Good to be here. Well, on this dubious anniversary, 25 years after the fact, boy, the passage of time. But, uh, I mean, no parole for 25 years. Is he ever getting out?
3: Well, we've already had one parole hearing, uh, which was in October of um, of 2018, because the 25-year, well, the, the period runs from the time that he was arrested and incarcerated, not from the time that he was convicted. Mm. And fortunately, he was unsuccessful in, in getting released. Uh, and believe it or not, he's the time passes so quickly <clears throat> that he's entitled to another parole hearing now, and just in the last number of weeks it's been put off till January. But it's such a traumatic experience for the family, certainly getting ready for the first parole hearing uh, and uh, preparing the victim impact statements was gut-wrenching for them. And then <clears throat> they have to do it all over again. But um, while we're not taking anything for granted, um, we are not being presumptuous Uh, we're not letting our guard down so we're preparing for these parole hearings and um uh, having said that my 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 view is is that uh, there's no chance of paul bernardo ever being paroled uh and um and i do believe that he'll die in prison
1: amen uh now the other thing is of course uh, with the 25 years look i guess it's maybe academic but uh would there have been some sim- symbolic value to consecutive rather than concurrent sentences in this case
3: oh certainly i mean um one of the things that i find so objectionable about uh, the process is that in effect paul bernardo got a uh, a freebie i hate to use that word for killing kristen french uh, he gets 25 years, he gets life with pro-eligibility set at 25 years for Leslie, for the murder of Leslie Mojavey, and then uh, it's no different uh, for the murder of Kristen French, and I find that to be really uh, appalling, and it should be consecutive, and we shouldn't even be thinking in terms of... Uh, of parole and you know the law has changed now uh, uh, but it changed after he was convicted so you know we have to deal with uh, with that situation and i really do believe that the public should have access to um... the audio recording and transcript of paul bernardo's parole hearing and and other similarly situated uh, criminals and we are in fact in the uh, federal court in february um, trying to get an order that uh, the audio tape uh, at least be released to the public as well as the documents that Paul Bernardo is relying upon to persuade the parole board uh, to be released, I think the public we had our, the public followed his 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 trial he followed his dangerous offender application. Why should the public be uh, denied access to this vital information? uh and it's being denied to us on the basis of Paul Bernardo's so-called privacy rights except parole hearings are public hearings and he's seeking a public remedy so we are going to the federal court of Canada and um, and the public really should 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 uh, be privy to this type of information sitting in the parole at the parole hearing uh was pretty uh disturbing as Paul Bernardo seemed to try to justify Uh, his behavior, and he's learned nothing, and there is no cure for psychopathy, so I'm hopeful that, uh, and confident that he'll be uh, in jail for the rest of his life, but as I say, we're not taking anything for granted, and and we will uh, uh, be prepared for each hearing.
1: Well, in that uh, parole hearing, because I'm reading transcripts of an interview uh, where he said uh, all of these crimes, this heinous uh, behavior, uh, it stemmed from low self-esteem, misguided coping mechanisms cognitive distortions and the disinhibitory effects of stress and alcohol i mean are you buying any of the psychobabble
3: well no in fact um and and this is where i think the public has a right to actually hear uh, the audio tape because when you actually hear his tone of voice and and uh and his demeanor at the parole hearing he was talking in this language and talking about the sexual torture and murder of these two teenage girls like other people would talk about the weather, it was shocking that, um, that. and this is the hallmark of, of, of psychopathy, they have no empathy at all. Uh, they know exactly what they're doing. The problem is that they enjoy it. And it, this became very, very evident during the hearing when the parole board panel started asking him some questions. So um, they didn't buy it, we don't buy it, um, and no one should ever buy it. Um, uh, the, the, the people like him are, are life for, for people like Paul Bernardo. Truly means life, and people think that life means 25 years. It doesn't. It just means that you have parole eligibility. And I do believe, and this is something that we we uh, are advancing and will continue to advance strongly, that the criteria for Paul Bernardo cannot be what I would characterize as the standard criteria for parole. They also have to factor in significantly the much higher threshold he has to overcome, which is the dangerous offender designation, which is a very high threshold. And he hasn't been able to produce any kind of medical evidence or any evidence of any type that would displace the evidence that was presented at his dangerous offender application.
1: Well, in that event, if I understand the law correctly, Tim, if uh, you're designated a dangerous offender, you can be held at Her Majesty's pleasure indefinitely. Is that the case?
3: Well, it is an indefinite designation, but to the, the legislation and to pass constitutional muster, uh, the parole board still has to review it. Like, we don't have in this country that you just throw away the key. So there is a process, and it is the parole board uh, that that uh, considers the uh, the dangerous offender designation. Um, But I think that one ought not to conflate uh, the dangerous offender designation and the traditional parole criteria. I mean, ultimately, it comes to public safety. but, um, But when you've been designated a dangerous offender based on some very compelling evidence, which the Crown had to prove beyond a reasonable doubt, then we should be seeing uh, medical experts uh, testifying at a parole hearing to displace that, and that doesn't exist, and I think that's another reason why uh, he, should, he will never be paroled and he will die in prison.
1: Again with Tim Danson, lawyer representing the families of Kristen French and Leslie Mahaffey 25 years ago to this date uh, when... Bernardo was sentenced to uh, life in prison, so uh, he languishes there. But he's got parole hearings coming up. You said again in January. Now, do the families still attend? Uh, I mean, what kind of a gut wrenching ordeal must that be?
3: Well, I mean, it was it was it was gut wrenching. Doesn't even come close to explain to be in you know these rooms in the penitentiaries. We, this was that Millhaven where where we had the uh, the parole hearing. Uh, We're in a very small room, and so the families and myself are, are like, just feet away from Bernardo for the day. And that's that's pretty difficult. As to January, uh, we'll have to see just because of COVID. Um, Currently, they're doing these parole hearings uh, by video conferencing. But um, uh, we'll see if he actually goes ahead in January. Uh, Last time, uh, he had six uh, parole hearings, which he adjourned. Uh, which i don 't think should be permitted either, because it means each time the family is getting um, geared up for the hearing and getting ready to read their victim impact statements, uh, Donna French read a a, a, a powerful um, victim impact statement on behalf of her family, Debbie Mahaffey did for her family, very, very difficult, but each time you have to come forward to to present your impact statement, um, it just tears them apart. And, and and it's what you said really at the at the opening here. It's hard to believe that 25 years has gone by, mm. um, but it's something that they have to address every two years, which I think is another area where we need to change the law. I think that's unfair to victims, um, but uh, but they will not abandon their their children, and they will be there, uh, and their
1: voice will be, voices will be heard. Yeah, having to endure that nightmare uh, on a daily basis. I'm guessing. By the way, it, it was anybody at the parole hearing? advocating for Bernardo, you know, uh, some shrink or other suggesting that, you know, he's on the road to rehabilitation. His lawyer, for example, as I understand it, was talking about maybe a facility on the grounds of Collins Bay Institution where, you know, they would show some latitude towards him. Anybody advocating for him?
3: Uh, apart from his lawyer, no. His case management team didn't think that uh, that he was ready However, I was disturbed by um some of the uh you know the reports the psychiatric or psychological reports that were done internally. <laughs> Uh, that were, um, you know, still didn't believe that he he should be released, but that he was moving in a direction towards rehabilitation. Uh, There simply is no rehabilitation for psychopaths. It's that simple. And and we're certainly going to uh, uh, make sure that everybody who's participating in this procedure is held accountable, which is another reason why the public... This should be a transparent process so the public itself can judge how the parole system works and whether it's working uh, efficiently and effectively, just like we do with the trial system.
1: Well, is there an initiative uh, somewhere in the pipeline to uh, maybe get the justice system or the ministry to uh, change the whole rules of engagement when it comes to these matters?
3: Yes. Well, that's exactly the the, um, the application that we now have in the federal court uh, coming up, in, I think it's February 24th, we begin the hearing. Um, it started under a, an A-tip request, an access for information request, where uh, at least um, the public uh, should have full access uh, to uh, the, the very documentations that these the people like Bernardo are relying upon. So at least we can judge it that way. And the audio tapes uh, and transcripts of those audio tapes should be made public. Uh, so that the public uh, is is able to follow exactly what 's happening at the hearings and looking at and being able to weigh in on the type of evidence that 's being put forward because a lot of it is is uh, in favor of some of these offenders uh, is just junk and they they know that they know how to talk they know how to talk about they use the words remorse. Um, And that they have insight, um, but those are just platitudes, and when you you start uh, questioning these these offenders like Bernardo, you find out that there's uh, no genuineness to that at all, and that they remain as dangerous today as they did 25 years ago, Uh, or even longer, of course, because Bernardo... Uh, was the Scarborough Rapist for quite some time. The murder of Leslie Mahaffey was in 1991. The murder of Kristen French was in '92, and he was convicted in 1995. The, the, the Bernardo today is the same Bernardo then, and, uh, and uh, we shouldn't be fooled. The other thing about uh, psychopaths is that they are generally, uh, many of them are, uh, are intelligent, uh, and, they, uh, uh, and they're, they can be endearing, uh, but, uh, but very, very dangerous.
1: Tim, before I let you go, uh, not to digress, but uh, what of Carla?
3: Well, you know, that's something that uh, will always bother me. Um, you know, as people know, quite some time ago, um, I, I believe that Carla Homolka had had breached her plea bargain. Uh, and should be sitting, and should have been sitting in the prisoner 's box beside uh, uh, Paul Bernardo. Uh, she did get away with murder in my view she 's living a, a free life in Quebec has children um, um, you know I feel badly for the children they 're not responsible for any of this, but it it, it is very, very difficult to know. Uh, that uh, a person like her who is also a psychopath uh, got away with murder and is living freely uh, not something that uh, that Kristen French or Leslie Mahaffey can 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 enjoy
1: a remarkable uh, saga, this, 25 years after the fact. Tim Danson, you were there from the hop, and uh, I appreciate your weighing in this afternoon and wish you the best uh, with the initiative before the courts and certainly for pressing the case, too, uh, so that this one never uh, fades from memory and people forget just uh, how horrific this all was. Thanks so much for your time, Tim.
3: Yeah, Thank you very much.
1: You got it. Tim Danson again, lawyer representing the families of Kristen French and Leslie Mahaffey. This has been the Oakley Show podcast for Tuesday, September 1st, 2020. You can listen live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 Eastern. Turn the dial to 640. Listen live at 640toronto.com or search the name John Oakley on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast.